All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, and my partner, Chen Lin, uh, is, uh, publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And uh, with regard to Chen's letter, you do need to put your name on a waiting list. Uh, at the beginning of each calendar quarter, uh, Chen takes new subscribers. Uh, he sort of limits the number of subscribers that he accepts, uh, and it is a very popular newsletter. So if you're interested in his excellent service, you should uh, go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com to sign up, put your name on a waiting list, and then also uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold, and Ener- Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, at that website as well. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Also, uh, want to ask you to keep your questions uh, coming, questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Uh, and I would like to invite you to follow me on Twitter as well. My handle uh, there is J. Taylor Media. I want to thank each of you, as I say, uh, for listening to this show. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. They are Caden Resources, Canamax Resources, Go Gold Resources, and today we want to welcome a new uh, a return sponsor, Uranium Energy. Uh, and Uranium Energy is, the, uh, is really doing quite well as a new uranium producer, uh, out of Texas, and it has uh, recently just reported a positive preliminary economic assessment on a project in Colorado. Uh, also, uh, it has reported positive preliminary economic assessment uh, on its uh, Sliprock. Well, that's the one, actually. The uranium also um, has uh, come up with some production permitting uh, permits uh, for uh, production in uh, Texas on its third ISR project. So a lot of news there. Uh, headed up by uh, Amira Nani, who is uh, really recognized as one of the bright young um, CEOs in the natural resource sector. So we'll be talking to Amir sometime in the near future about his plans for uranium energy. It's the first new uranium producer in the United States in recent years. Well, let's get on to today's show. We have a, a packed show, uh, not a lot of time to, uh, to uh, talk about it, but uh, I've titled today's show, Does the Fed Have Reason to Worry About Deflationary, uh, about a Deflationary Depression? And the reason for that topic uh, is primarily my main guest, Ian Gordon, uh, who is a, a very strong deflationist, believes that we are heading for some extraordinary difficult times with a lot of Debt uh, repudiation uh, and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of problems ahead. Uh, so he's going to be with me at about half past the hour or twenty minutes after the hour. Or so 
and Michael Oliver will be with me as well in just a few minutes after our first break to help us understand uh, where we're going uh, and how soon we're going to go there in different markets. Some of the key markets we want to talk to him about will be the equity markets, the gold markets, and uh, some of the others that we talk about constantly uh, on this show. You know, it uh, is really true uh, that uh, Janet Yellen worries that we could be in for a repeat of the 1930s. Uh, clearly, Ian Gordon is not out of sync with the thinking of the investment bankers or, or with the um, uh, Federal Reserve uh, f- folks that are running the show with Janet Yellen and the other federal board members. They are all worried about it, and for good reason, because we have far more debt than can be repaid. So if the markets were left to their own resolve, we would have a deflationary depression the likes of which uh, would make the 1930s pale by comparison. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, if the dollar... Uh, sinks and is uh, if the dollar loses its value vis-a-vis other currencies uh, Ian himself is uh, very interesting and has, has come along to believe that we could see a major inflationary problem as well uh, the second hour of today's show uh, we are going to be talking uh, to Gene Epstein, Eric Coffin, Daniel McAdams and David Jensen so uh, Daniel uh, will be here to talk about the latest evils of the tyrants in the Ukraine and the United States, uh, what is going on over there, and try to pull it together. David will help us connect the dots between geopolitics and economics uh, and the market manipulation. Uh, Eric Coffin will round out today's show by talking about some of his favorite junior mining picks. Uh, and uh, the first guest that we'll have in the second hour at J. Taylor Media, all of the second hours at J. Taylor Media, will be Barron's uh, writer, Gene Epstein. He'll be here uh, to talk about this coming New York City Junto meeting. And the topic of this meeting is the tyranny of experts, economists, dictators, and the forgotten rights of the poor. And Gene will be explaining uh, and talking about the main guest at this Thursday's New York City Junto. Well, I'm told that we do need to go to break now. Uh, so we are going to take our first commercial break. And when we come back, we'll have Michael Oliver with us uh, to talk about uh, some of these key markets that we are all uh, very much interested in. So don't go away. I'll be right back with Michael Oliver. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. You're listening. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Michael Oliver. Uh, Michael uh, has been on the show a couple of times before, uh, but for the sake of those of you who may not be familiar with you with him, uh, let me just give you a little of his background. He worked as a commodity trader at E.F. Hutton. Uh, those of us who are a little older remember that name. Starting, He started back in, 19, in the 1970s, in the mid-1970s. In the 1980s, Michael began to develop his own momentum-based method of technical analysis, and his career was really elevated uh, after 1987. He technically anticipated and captured the crash. Uh, since then, he has been uh, sharpening his momentum structured, uh, structural based tools to help his clients uh, in these markets. And he publishes an excellent newsletter uh, geared primarily for uh, institutional clients, and that's called Momentum, momentum Structural Analysis. Uh, welcome back, Michael. It's really good to have you with me again. Jay, good to be back. Really good. You know, our main focus, one of the main focuses on this show, of course, is gold. So I have to ask you, uh, I noticed in the April 26th missive, you showed a weekly gold chart displaying uh, downtrend channels for gold dating back to the peak in uh, 2011 when gold reached uh, about $1,900. You noted that since then, gold has broken below those downtrend channels, clearly, and it's tried twice to re-enter those channels, but it's moved back. It's failed twice. Uh, what does it have to go to to get back into that channel and to assure us that maybe this downturn is over with? Well, it's, uh, I, I look at price usually as a secondary, but in this case, mm-hmm. uh, with an acceleration channel, meaning in this case a downside acceleration, right. uh, normally we deal with upside blowoffs. Gold actually had a downside blowoff. It had been going down for a year and a half or so, 2012-13, and April of 2013 went down through a declining channel. Mm-hmm. which indicates it wants more speed, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it got it. Uh, twice it's rallied back to that, that acceleration line, which is the channel bottom, and bumped its head there. That was at 1420 in August last year and 1390-something a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Now, to me, that marked the spot, because I had plotted that channel prior to the rallies, and I'll be darned if the, the rallies didn't fail there. So it tells me that that channel is, in fact, valid, what you need now, I think, uh, from a bull perspective, is I think that there's a potential the bear market's over. If there is anything remaining, I think it's a spike. In other words, if we go down 1,200 and take out 1,180, mm-hmm. I think you get a painful spike, but I think it'll be a brief phenomenon, and then I think their elastic band will snap and you'll turn up for real. Mm-hmm. Or we've already made the low, uh, and I'm, I'm somewhat on a fence about that. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you get up to the 1390 to 1400 again, now we're playing at 1300 right now, mm-hmm. uh, and we just came off a low in the 1260s uh, a week ago. You get back up to 1390 to 1400 again on a weekly closing basis, and as far as I'm concerned, just circle it. You've seen the bear market low. You're now headed up. Now, the speed of the up, the way, it, the way in which it moves, that's a different issue, but I think if you get back up there a third time, close inside that channel, call it close to 1400 let's say uh, and it's not a number that's hard to get to we've been there close to there twice once a month ago and above there last summer so all they got to do is get up there close a week there as far as i'm concerned you tip your hat and say okay gold is now shifted it's now a bull 
Okay, what happens if we go up there and bounce back and fail to get back inside the I, channel? Are we, I wouldn't are we in bet trouble? on a third failure, I'll tell you that. Uh, I wouldn't feel lucky if I were a bear and saw it rally back to 1390. I would uh-huh. feel very uncomfortable. A third time is usually a charm. Uh-huh. Well, if you get repelled again, you do. But my bet would be if you get all the way back up there, you're probably going to lash a, a, a weekly close up in that area. And that's I, I want a weekly close up around, let's call it 1390 to 1400 or so. If I see that, then I... I with some assurance, have a sense that the, the bear low in gold is in fact in place, and now the issue then becomes how do we proceed upside, you know, in what what fashion, and that's a different yeah. issue. Yeah. Well, we'll be looking. Uh, we'll be looking for that answer. I can tell you that, Michael. We're we're bullish on this uh, on this show in gold, so we want to see that. But you know, it's not what we want to see. It's what is real, and that's why we, why you're here to help us with that. You know, we have so little time today, but I have to get on to the issue that you think is perhaps the most important thing that you're focused on right now. You said that you have a real big story on the asset class shift. You think that we're uh, if I understood what you were saying, you think a move away from equities to commodities is underway? Do I have that right? Uh, that's correct. Uh, from 2000 to 2011, commodities outpaced equities on the upside. In fact, if you'd shorted the S&P at the lows in the bear market in 2008 and simultaneously go on, com- go on commodities or gold, you'd have made good money. It's mm-hmm. hard to believe, but you would have. But in mid-2011, my report anticipated a downturn in relative performance of the commodity asset class relative to equities, meaning no longer would commodities lead the upside. They were going to underperform stocks. In fact, not only they underperformed, they actually went down in that price. Mm-hmm. That process, I think, is coming to an end. I think commodities as a basket. Now, there are exceptions. Meats would be an exception. They're very high. I think meats could have a bear market. Uh, Oil market still could have one major down leg left in it, copper possibly too. But net on balance, I think we are in a process of an arm wrestling bottom of the asset class commodities versus equities, whereby it's time to start thinking about shifting out of equity exposure into more commodity exposure over the next quarters. And mm-hmm. I think that by this time next year, the evidence will be abundantly clear, even to, let's say, amateurs. I'm seeing the evidence from many sources, uh, including the Canadian Stock Exchange performance relative to mm-hmm. the S&P, uh, you know, obviously mining sensitive and so forth. Its relative performance has been very doggy versus the S&P for quite a few years. That has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is further marginal evidence that there is a shift in money away from risk on equities into what might be perceived as value commodities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is a glacial event because it could indicate that the reservoir of, of uh, monetary uh, liquidity out there, not only provided by the Fed but others, uh, could find a new home. Uh, and the Fed, after all, they print the money, but that doesn't dictate where it goes. Ultimately, right. the investor class determines where it goes. And if for any reason the investor class gets tired of stocks, bored, scared, whatever, and starts looking for other possibilities. Uh, you know, it may be seeping effort at first, and then a, a wider effort next. But you know, smart money always moves first, and the public later. But mm-hmm. I can see the evidence of that occurring, beginning to occur now, and I'm seeing it in too many areas. And I'm speaking <clears throat> technically, right? So I am of seeing definitely solid evidence of that shift. And asset class shifts like this don't occur very often, and they're usually significant. And longer lasting. And longer lasting, yeah. They're not a couple quarters. They're they're years, you know. Okay, so so we could be, uh, and gold might go along with this. This would fit in with a gold bottom scenario, yes. Mm -hmm. And 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 silver as well. uh, Fully in that pack, (laughs) definitely. 
Well, it, yeah. it's it's very interesting, Michael. Unfortunately, I see you know we've got to schedule you for more time more often okay, on this show because fine. you have so many. So I think so much great insight. I want to thank you very much. My engineer is telling me that's all the time we thank have you. right now today. But uh, yeah, we got to have you back. Uh, this is very important information, and thanks so much for sharing that with uh, with our listeners. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, folks, don't go away because uh, coming up next is Ian Gordon. He's going to talk about, uh, well, he'll, he'll be no doubt talking about the uh, bear market that he sees in stocks and the bull market in gold. He is as bullish on gold as I have ever seen Ian Gordon. He's always bullish, but more bullish than I've seen him in a long time. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ian Gordon. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. NYSE market-listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex. And NYSE-listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ian Gordon. Ian has been a guest on this show a number of times in the past, but not recently. So for the benefit of those of you who may not be familiar with him, let me give you a brief uh, review of his background. Ian is a globally renowned economic forecaster and author of the Long Wave Analyst newsletter, which you can access uh, free of charge at longwavegroup.com. Ian is a student of economic and investment history, and I can tell you from having visited Ian's life, Library. He is an ex- really reads a, a, as much as any human being I've ever come in contact with. His library is extensive, but he also does a lot of thinking and uh, unique thinking. His analysis, which is certainly one of a kind, uh, it is cycle analysis to a great extent, but it's garnered great praise from many notable sources, including some of really well exceptionally known and uh, 
highly regarded investment pros. Uh, Ian is a consultant to many mining companies and has assisted many junior mining firms raising capital over the past number of years. He was perhaps the first investment professional anywhere to recognize that the markets were about to give birth to a new secular bull market, and that was when he started writing his long-wave analyst newsletter back in the late 1990s, about the time that I first met up with Ian. He was also one of the first financial professionals to begin aggressively raising capital at the very start of this secular bull market in gold back in 1998-1999, around that time. And uh, he foresaw problems really beginning to take shape in the global economy that would cause gold to enter a major bull market. Ian has done very well for his clients and for his own account since then, so he is someone that you really want to pay some close attention to. His views, I think, are, are very worthwhile listening to, so um, welcome, Ian. It's good to have you back again. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. It's a, it has been a, a long time, but I'm really happy to be back with you. It has been a long time, and you know, when we first met in the late 90s, I, um, I know uh, we swapped newsletters, and when I saw what you were writing, I said, wow, this guy is really providing some food for thought that's really valuable. Uh, that's been a long time ago, Ian. We've seen gold rise from, I don't know, it was 250 bucks or so at the bottom back in 2002 or something like that. It ra- rose all the way to 1900 and You know, the mainstream people kind of figure it's all over. Uh, but I don't believe you think so, do you? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, the gold price is, is uh, being suppressed, and effectively it has to be suppressed by um, powers that be because gold is really the measure of the health in the economy and in the financial sector. So uh, right now uh, one could say that things actually in, in, these two, in these sectors are extremely iffy. You know, we've got uh, the U.S. since the gold price hit 1900 has probably added two and a half trillion dollars to its debt load, and it's now in excess of 17 trillion dollars. That can never be repaid, uh, Jay. And the other thing about the the position really that the U.S. is facing is that the I think one of the most important things, and and it's not being given sort of due reference to the gold price, is the fact that the petrodollar is is now under fire, and um, and that sort of war on the petrodollar is it being instigated by Russia and China? And already China has made all sorts of bilateral agreements with different countries to um, exchange, uh, you know, the purchasing of goods and so on between them, in, in and be paid for in their own currencies. Uh, Russia's just uh, announced a deal with Iran where she'll purchase uh, something like $30 billion of Iranian oil and, and pass it on into the, into the world market. And that will not be, uh, the U.S. dollar will not be uh, involved in that sort of purchase. And similarly, Russia is about to announce a major uh, deal with China for its uh, energy resources. And that too, the purchases will not be in the dollar. So the, the dollar stays you know, are definitely numbered, and, and um, the days when uh, the uh, petrodollar, which was sort of uh, put together by Kissinger in 19, I think it was 1973, when the Saudis agreed to uh, price their oil for dollars, uh, I really think that these days are numbered, and uh, it's important it's, that the that the U.S. and uh, the Western countries sort of try to keep a lid on the price of gold, so that people don't see the real kind of under under the current sort of scenarios that are taking place here certainly in uh, when gold reached uh, 1900 in 
2011, September 2011, 1920. You know, we ne- we didn't see this sort of this the the real war that was being waged on the petrodollar at that time. That's already happened since that time. So I really think that underneath all of this, things are far worse today than they were in in uh, 2011 and uh, the gold price has to be suppressed otherwise that people will realize if it suddenly starts to go haywire on the upside people will start to realize how bad things are well the gold price has to be depressed in order to keep the illusion of a value a value for the dollar right so but what then um, then will cause uh, the dollar's collapse, and it would it, will it be the the Chinese and other creditor nations simply refusing to to buy our treasuries, and then uh, but the Fed can continue printing, right? Or will there at some point be a loss of confidence that that triggers this this uh, dollar collapse that you're expecting? Well, I mean, it could be any number of things. I mean, confidence is the main you know is the main sort of measure of any currency, really, and. Um, you know, I was talking to someone today uh, about the the dollar, and you know, I said normally, you know, I, I'm a, of the opinion that all all fiat currencies are facing a collapse, but normally the reserve currency is the last one to go. But I was suggesting today that maybe the dollar is the first of the of the fiat currencies that's going to collapse because mm-hmm. of its reliance on you know on the petrodollar on its status. Of, of basically all commodities being priced in in dollars, but mm-hmm. you know, as countries move away from using the dollar as a means to purchase uh, commodities, then the the dollar they don't need to have dollars in their reserves. They just simply don't need to because they're going to be settled in their own currencies, and so the countries will uh, use less and less dollars in payment for these goods. So those dollars, again, are that debt, that U.S. dollar debt, because what happens is the central banks, uh, once they get these dollars and put them into reserves, essentially by U.S. treasuries, and they'll have less need for these treasuries. Those, that money, that the dollars will start to come home as they sell off their treasuries. And eventually, you know, the value of the dollar will continue to erode. And much like the 30s, you know, when we had the... the um, the currency wars in the 30s when people started to go off the gold exchange mm-hmm. standard system um, there was a time when the dollar came under attack in the early 30s uh, because uh, most people believed that the, the US would follow Britain and other countries off gold and eventually of course it did and so to try and maintain the value of the dollar the Federal Reserve, even in the midst of this depression, raised interest rates. And you could see the same thing happening again today, where the U.S., because the dollar becomes under really worldwide attack, the U.S. has to raise interest rates to try and attract money back to the U.S. And that, of course, will be will kill uh, the U.S. economy. And, um, and then, so we're living in a, what I consider to be a very, very precarious uh, economic and financial state at this time. No. And that's why I really believe that gold, once the thing starts to uh, starts to sort of go bust, uh, the gold, the price of gold is going to go absolutely skyrocket to uh, very um, major highs. Uh, and I truly believe that ultimately gold will be unobtainable at any price because countries like Russia and China and other Far Eastern countries will be. Uh, already are trying to get as much as they can get their hands on, but they'll, it'll all be going there. 
and we won't be able to get any of it. Mm-hmm. Ian, um, you know, you are known probably most for your uh, deflationary depression views, uh, the Kondratiev winter, as you call it. Uh, you're still holding to that view as much as ever? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I see a major collapse coming, and, um, you know, that when that happens... Um, uh, initially, probably, I mean, it's hard to see what happens. If the dollar goes first, if the, the value of the dollar goes first, you could have actually a major inflation in the U.S. because of all the imported goods, the foods mm-hmm. and so on, the petroleum products would would rise in price quite dramatically. Right. But also you'd have, a, sort of in, in step with that, you'd have... Uh, the the unemployment rate in the in the U.S. would rise quite dramatically, so demand for these products would drop, but the demand for food can't drop. I mean, people have to eat, mm-hmm. and so uh, you you could have serious problems and food shortages in the United States, which would mean that prices would be significantly higher than they are today. Right, and indeed, uh, when people have trouble putting food on the table is when you start having some real political issues uh, that uh, rear their ugly heads, for sure. We saw that in North Africa during the Arab Spring. But, you know, getting back to this, this notion, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say what you just said. I'm not glad that what you're saying is probably true, because I think none of us can take any any joy in seeing the miseries that lie ahead of us. But the notion that we could actually be a- afflicted with some serious inflationary problems uh, based on a sudden collapse of the dollar is certainly uh, John Williams' thesis, who's uh, who's betting on hyperinflation. But on the other hand, you know, it's, uh, as I uh, as Ron Paul insisted one time when I was talking to him, and I presented uh, a lot of your ideas, Ian, on the deflation side. He said, "But aren't we really talking about the same thing?" And in a way, I think we are. We're talking about an, an economy that's been decimated, as you've pointed out so eloquently in the past, by debt, by huge amounts of debt. And as you said, uh, I think you headed up one of your misses in the past, it's the debt, stupid. And and so where are we with respect to that debt, Ian? It seems to me that every time there's an additional QE, what we have is more debt relative to income. Is that pattern still in place? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, people, uh, you know, the the countries are trying to fight the debt problem by creating more of it. And... uh, to, to a large extent, they've taken as much as they can off uh, debt has been taken away off the consumers. Consumers have been paying back debt, uh, some of it forcibly through things like foreclosures and so on in, of their homes. But um, uh, but governments have been taking on uh, substantially more debt, and um, eventually it just becomes impossible for that debt to be repaid or to be financed. And that's why... You know, given these kind of circumstances, one has to see that uh, eventually, as all everything starts to unravel, interest rates have to rise because people, everybody, will be trying to seek capital to finance their debt, mm-hmm. and um, and that will, ha- you know, Russia's already been raising rates to tr- try and sort of uh, safeguard the ruble, which is being attacked. Uh, uh, because of the Ukrainian crisis and so on, but this is going to happen everywhere. And it, you know, as, as countries fight to try and bring capital to finance their debt, and uh, I can see uh, interest rates rising worldwide. 
So what would uh, what would cause uh, for now? You know, there's there's this repression, uh, financial repression or interest rate repression, suppression, if you will. That is, uh, it seems to be the Fed still has the ability to do that. Now, what, at what point does it lose that ability? We had Jim Rickards on this show talking uh, last week, even just talking about how the the problem, uh, you know, the, is that the Fed's balance sheet, he, he thinks we're going to go into another major decline. And he says this time everybody will recognize that the Fed itself is broke, and the only institution that will be left with a decent balance sheet will be the IMF. And he thinks at that time we're likely to go into some kind of a currency regime change and then his parting his parting words with me last week was that he thinks that uh that this is accelerating this whole process is accelerating for currency wars but do you think that the the uh, a sudden uh loss of confidence in the fed could then break the ability of the fed to go out and continue to suppress rates uh, and issue more money more you know finance more government uh funding of of these of these issues well, the Fed has to already is basically taking up the slack in buying uh, U.S. treasuries that uh, basically can't be sold uh, worldwide because the Chinese and so on are, are pulling in the horns and, and, and accepting less U.S. debt and purchasing less U.S. debt. So the Fed already is, is buying uh, a significant amount of the U.S. debt. Whether it can, you know, as countries, you know, as, as a talked about earlier as the, as the need to hold dollars lessens as more and more of these bilateral trade agreements are reached um, you know there will be uh, even more selling of U.S. treasuries and the Fed will have to uh, even purchase more and more of the of U.S. treasuries I guess what the Fed could do you know because it's uh, it could it could cancel that debt mm-hmm. and say look uh, we're canceling. So the U.S. If we if we've got four trillion dollars of U.S. debt on our books, the U.S. We're canceling it all, and the U.S. It doesn't owe because they can print this money just to purchase this debt. So they can yeah. just sort of say, okay, uh, the U.S. doesn't owe this debt anymore. We're canceling it. Yeah, but and, what uh, what would that do for the ability of the U.S. to borrow any any in in the future? Well, it would make it very difficult. But I think everybody's going to have a you know, everybody, and I agree, I didn't hear uh, Mr. Rickard's interview with you, but I, I would agree that, we're, you know, the whole premise of, of my work is that we're going into a massive uh, economic depression, and so the ability of, of anybody to borrow uh, in, that kind, in, in that kind of circumstance is going to be extremely difficult. And I think we're going to have, uh, you know, as as he said, major currency wars were already having them. But I think eventually the whole currency system, much as it did in the 30s, is going to collapse. Yeah. Um, and with that collapse, I think we're going to see a country like China. It's not, it's not viable at this time, but eventually China will peg its currency to gold. I mean, yeah. That's why I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that China is acquiring so much gold so that she has the wherewithal to do that certainly seems to be taking shape in that direction, Ian, as we look also uh, at the agreements that you referred to just a, a moment ago about China agreeing to take local currencies from different uh, different countries and Russia now making agreements to sell energy uh, gas, natural gas to China, to India, to uh, Iran. 
And uh, some of the institutions, the trading mechanisms that are being put in place in China as well, the oil trading as well as the uh, as well as the um, uh, gold trading, and I understand a new exchange is going to be open there that would allow foreigners to buy and sell gold out of Shanghai as well. Uh, it certainly seems to be uh, c- certainly seems to be in the making. I guess the question is timing. And there again, uh, I refer to James Rickards' warning that he thinks things are starting to accelerate. As we look at the year, uh, at the Ukraine, uh, do you tie that in with this act- with this activity at all, Ian? Or is the United States and the NATO forces pushing, actually maybe inadvertently, uh, without realizing it, pushing uh, pushing this movement away from the dollar? Uh, more rapidly than if they just sort of backed off and, and didn't try to keep the pressure on uh, and expanding NATO? Um, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I think it was a, you know, a strategic uh, fault that the, that the U.S. And, 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 and the Europeans would sort of try to uh, basically change the government of the Ukraine from a pro uh, Russian, and by the way, an elected government in Ukraine. Uh, most people say that it was uh, democratically elected, and the, the elections were fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had a, uh, you know, and then to basically make sure that we had a revolution to kick this pro-Russian uh, president out of the Ukraine. Uh, but essentially, that forced the Russians' hand. I mean, you, you know, NATO's been encroaching onto the borders of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, against the sort of the agreements that were done between Gorbachev and Reagan for for several years now. And um, I think the Russians basically, uh, much as they did in Syria, they drew a, a line in the sand and said, no, Ukraine, you, 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 you know, you've done, you're already too far, moved too far east, and we're not allowing this to happen. Because if the Ukraine had been taken over, they could have lost... Um, you know their their port and so on mm-hmm. in the Crimea, and mm-hmm. uh, they weren't going to let let this happen. So, uh, and I think now you know, and the, the, you know the U.S. trying to impose all these sanctions and so on 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 Russia is is basically again going to force the Russians and the Chinese to to quicken the pace of this uh, anti-dollar move. And by mm-hmm. the way, just going back to Rickard's thing, that sort of the IMF, I don't think the Russians and the Chinese are ever going to ha- allow the IMF to have any say in in, in a new sort of uh, currency system that evolves, because the IMF is still basically a, a U.S. institution. Right. You know, they, they, right. So I don't think that that's going to happen. It certainly wouldn't happen with the cooperation of those countries, I, I would I would guess. Uh, so... What your point is is that the the wealth. Uh, well, first of all, uh, the U.S. and the Western world is impoverished and indebted like uh, much worse than I believe. Although the Chinese are certainly printing money like mad, but um, at least at least they work hard and they produce products that the rest of the world needs. The Russians produce natural resources that the rest of the world needs, so they have something something there, I guess. But um, so, are you saying that? Uh, that the that the U.S. would uh, the U.S. And, and NATO or not NATO the U.S. and the IMF, which is as you say controlled by the Anglo-American Empire, essentially, would not be able to prevail. Um, I mean, how many members? Almost everybody in the world, every country in the world, is basically a member of the IMF, but they don't have the voting power, right? Well, the U.S. has veto, so yeah. on anything. So I mean, 
essentially it is a U.S. Uh, institution. You know, controlled, controlled institution. Yeah. So that the, the Russians and the Chinese, the wealth, you know, this is what we have to recognize. The wealth of, of the world has shifted to the East. And, right. Um, you know, and I've long argued that empires last about 100 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the, the, the waning days of the U.S. empire that sure. we're going through right now. Uh, much like Britain was bankrupted, you know, following the First World War, effectively bankrupted, uh, the U.S. has been bankrupted by the perpetual war she's been fighting. So, um, you know, 17-whatever trillion dollars of debt, that can never be repaid, Jay, and it yeah. can't be inflated because... There's no mechanism for inflation right now with the economy in such poor, poor shape. Oh. So all the money printing that's been going on, most of it has effectively been going into keeping asset prices higher. Right. And really uh, contributing to the redistribution of wealth from the average people, from the middle class to the, to the people that control the, uh, the monetary system, essentially. Uh, Ian, I'd like to switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, timing is everything, as some people say. Uh, in the in the investment arena, although I think if you really take a position, you understand what the long-term trends are, that you can hold your position and do quite well longer term. But I guess it was that guy Keynes that said in the long run, we're all dead. But let's get to the timing issue now. And I, I found it a bit amusing. I've had Archie Crawford on this show. I know you're a cycles guy. And I know, and one of the things I like about you, Ian, is you have an open mind about things. And, uh, you know, you, you cited Archie Crawford's work and uh, talked to us a little bit about some of the planetary things that Archie talked about uh, that uh, sort of leading him and some of the other uh, folks that use those disciplines to think that we're in trouble. Well, I've long subscribed to uh, Archie Crawford's work. And, um, you know, I don't, I'm not an astrologer and uh, I don't truly understand it. But I do, I do, for those that are astrologers, I, for a large part, I give them a lot of credibility because they're so often right in in, in their predictions. And um, I'm not talking about the people who write about your birth horoscopes and the news sure. and so on, because, you know, we're all born, born in different places at different times and so on, so it's very difficult to sort of pick, pick you know, how things are going to unfold for you in that particular day. But... Arch Crawford just put out a piece on the, um, the, the sort of the this has never been seen before how all these planets are sort of aligned and it's actually it was um, on Friday that uh, he felt that uh, you know that, that there was going to be significant changes around, uh, coming about as a result of this of these planetary alignments and and you know and and the, and the, the stock market peak was. Uh, envisaged would occur on Friday and it's interesting to note today that um, you know we were down I think 140 on the Dow on Friday mm -hmm. and today we were up about 120 when I looked at it before I walked my dog this morning and I now see we're down 44 mm -hmm. so um, he you know and this is really the probably the start of of um, what I call the the Condratia for the long wave economic winter. We're now going to go. Everything that the Feds and the central banks have done to uh, withstand uh, uh, this the uh, the economic winter, and effectively the winter should have begun in 2000 with the stock market peak at that time. That 2000 peak was akin to the 1929 peak or the 1873 stock market peak. They've you know they've been able to hold back. 
the winter by massive monetary printing. So remember that this is the the first time that effectively uh, we've gone into what would be the long wave economic winter depression with uh, on a pure fiat money system. Mm-hmm. So every country has been able to print uh, ad infinitum in, in an effort to withstand the ravages of the economic winter. Right. The whole purpose of these economic winters is to get the debt wrung out of the system. So we haven't been able to do that. But now I think the um, the whole thing the uh, is coming to a, a fault now, and I think we could start to see that everything starting to unravel as of, you know, if we understand the um, guys like Arch Crawford, as of Friday. Yeah, I, last Friday when right. the stock market made made that peak. Yeah, and um, well, then, it's, you know things will start to unravel very quick, much as they did in two thousand and seven, Jay, when the stock market peaked in October. I wrote a piece uh, at that time saying this is it, because mm-hmm. I could see that the whole thing was going to sort of come unravel, and the banking system was going to come, uh, you know, face a significant. Uh, problems at that time uh, simply because those failures, those Bear Stearns uh, funds, that, that was obvious to me that the whole debt situation was coming to, uh, going to face uh, huge problems in 2007, uh, of course I, did in 2007-8. I remember it well, Ian, I remember that article and uh, it, it certainly was uh, it certainly was bang on, that's for sure. Now, uh, you know, I just, ha- I just was just thinking as you were talking about uh, you know, we should have had the cleansing in 2000 uh, because of fiat money and no gold standard, no no discipline against the creation of money. Uh, the debt money, and I like to refer to it as debt money because I like to say that debt is the raw material from which money is created in a fiat currency system, in a fractional reserve fiat currency system. It's debt piled on debt. And it has not been able, it has not, the markets have not been allowed to cleanse. And so here we have what you're talking about, Archie, saying that never before, at least in in recent, uh, in long, long periods of time, have we ever seen this kind of greatness of alignment that seems to line up uh, pretty much with with this huge amount of debt to to equity or this huge amount of abuse of of the monetary system since we went off the gold standard in 1971. But you also mentioned in your same monthly article, uh, and I should mention to people that Ian uh, puts out a weekly missive, uh, it's called The Week That Was, that really reviews important uh, events of the past week, and then an excellent monthly letter called Ian's Investment Insights, and it's it's, uh, Ian's Investment Insights here that I picked up on some of the comments that we're talking to you about today that Ian is explaining. Uh, but uh, as uh, Ian, you mentioned also, in sync with Archie Crawford and some of the uh, astrologers' uh, commentary, there's also a lot of technical tools that seem to be running uh, along with these planetary alignments. And also, uh, you mentioned uh, the jaws of death. We've had Dr. Robert McHugh on this show. Talk to our listeners just briefly about the jaws of death, and, and what is that telling us? Well, again, I'm a, I am a subscriber to, I think... Uh, as per your recommendation, Jay, to Dr. McHugh's work. Yes. Um, and I am a, I am a student of, uh, of, of Elliott Wave, and his work is essentially uh, centered on the Elliott Wave, but also um, he does a lot of, you know, in conjunction with the Elliott Wave, he does a lot of uh, pure technical analysis. Mm-hmm. Most, of, most of my analysis of, uh, of, of, of markets is based on technical analysis. 
anyway, the jaws of death pattern, and Dr. McHugh suggests, is, is the three peaks that the stock market has made. The peak in 2000, uh, when the Dow hit 11,750, the peak in 2007, when the Dow hit 14.2, and the current peak, all those peaks, if you join, uh, do a trend line between those peaks, you have a, a rising trend line between those peaks. And then the, the lows that were made uh, subsequent to those uh, peaks, the low in 2002 and then the low in 2009, if you draw a trend line to that, uh, you get this um, megaphone pattern. Mm -hmm. that, uh, and so he says those patterns, and particularly this one, because it's been ongoing since 2000, are uh, very much uh, in indications of, uh, of a major top in prices. And he says that the this top, as does Robert Prechton, I know you've had Robert on your show. As yes. Well. Um, that this, this, the bear market that is, uh, this pattern is forecasting, the stock bear market is one degree worse than the stock bear market of 1929-32. And during that period, 1929-32, the Dow lost effectively 90% of its value. I think it was 89.3%. Right, 90 and change, mm-hmm. Right, so um, this is going to be worse. The bear market that we're facing uh, now that is um, uh, being predicted by this uh, jaws of death pattern is going to be significantly worse than the bear market of 2932. We're wanting to get out of the system. If the system is broken, you want to run away from it. And, and of course, our listeners know that I believe gold is a place to go to. Gold shares is also a place to go to, and I believe very firmly, as I think you do as well, that it makes a lot of sense to diversify geographically, probably with the gold that you own, the silver that you own, but more gold. Uh, but I also think it makes sense to diversify in the form of gold that you own, and certainly during the 1930s, the gold mining shares did extremely well. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, if the United States um, needs to uh, mine gold, uh, if, we're, if they're forced to go back onto some sort of an international gold standard, gold mining companies might be a good place to, to have your investment. But you're, you're very bullish on gold mining, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, am I, do I have that right, Ian? I've been bullish, Jay, since 1999. Yeah, gold. Uh, but especially now, perhaps, more. We've had a good correction course. here. Of course, I'm very bullish now simply because it reminds me very much of 1999. Uh -huh. uh, you know, when I first started to finance gold, junior gold companies in 1999, there wasn't anybody who had any interest in gold except, you know, a few people, uh, a few Swiss fund managers, and uh, David Tice, who was running Prudent Bear at that time, and so on. They could see you know, that gold was going to be a, a good place to go. But that was about all. It was very few very people few. that believed in the gold business. The stock market was still, you know, made very, very bullish in 1999. But the Dow-Gold ratio, which I think is one of the best measures that people can use to evaluate the relationship of, of gold to, to paper stocks, paper stock values, the Dow-Gold ratio, uh, reached a peak in uh, July 1999 when it took 44 ounces of gold to buy the value of the Dow Jones. Mm -hmm. 
and we've never seen a peak that high. So that in itself was a warning that we were going to have a shift out of paper stocks, out of the paper stock market, back into gold. And um, so we're back in that kind of era again, the 1999 period, because no one believes in it anymore. Well, they've all been beaten up so badly. You know, I, I live close to Vancouver, as you know, um, and of course Vancouver is a sort of the headquarters of the junior precious metals mining sector. Um, most of the companies are, uh, have their head offices in Vancouver, but they're finding it awfully difficult to raise capital at this stage to stay alive, and some of them obviously aren't going to stay alive. And the other thing is that the, all the brokers have basically been weaned off gold. They're mm -hmm. back touting the general stock market to their clients. Right. And those that, you know, those that have been in the gold market have been beaten up so badly and their clients have been beaten up so badly. So there's no interest in this market, much as there was no interest in 1999. So I think we're kind of in a similar period right now. Well, you certainly did extremely well uh, by being uh, the early bird in that uh, sector, Ian. You did very well for yourself and your clients. So uh, as, I, as I told our listeners, it's really important to listen to what you have to say. And I know that one of the stocks, that we only got a couple of minutes left here, but one of the, one of the juniors that you have been tirelessly championing, even at times when it seemed to have had some difficulties in the market, uh, is Barkerville Gold. Uh, tell, take a couple of minutes uh, before we conclude our discussion today to tell us why you like Barkerville Gold. Okay, yeah, I should say that I am an advisor to the board, so, um, and that being said, um, I really like, uh, the fact is that the uh, company in, made an announcement in, I think, July 2012, in which uh, the independent geologist uh, uh, saw a resource of uh, 10.6 million ounces and a potential resource of, of 60 to 90 million ounces on the property. Now that necessitated him coming up with a 43-101 within 45 days of that announcement. Um, and when the when he came up and uh, put the 43-101 together, and these are huge monstrous reports that have to be put together and presented mm -hmm. to the BC Securities Commission. Um, when he uh, did that, the BC Securities Commission halted the uh, stock trading in Barkerville um, within six hours of receiving that report. And uh, essentially thereafter, um, uh, Barkerville was uh, told to have a, a, the resource uh, uh, sort of vetted by an in, another independent geologist. Mm -hmm. in, in this case, it was Snowden, which is an international firm that mm -hmm. did, the, did the resource calculations. And um, eventually, after uh, submitting it to the BC Securities Commission, the actual resource was uh, reduced uh, on a capped basis uh, down to 5 million ounces, and the potential was re was reduced, I think, from 9 to uh, 27 million ounces. The fact that the, the, the Securities Commission had halted stock trading for 14 months, uh, and that report came out. This is still, you know, I like to think that uh, it's the it, it's the highest that, uh, that that was acceptable to the BC Securities Commission. Mm -hmm. um, but this is still a significant resource, five sure. million ounces, and the grade is as uh, two grams plus, and mm -hmm. it's surface surface grade. So. Mm -hmm. But the potential 
I think is significantly greater than the amount that uh, Stone actually came up with. Uh, there were areas that weren't allowed to be included in the potential. And so I think this is going to be ultimately uh, a huge uh, gold resource, but mm-hmm. 5 million ounces on its own is not a bad resource. No, not at all. In fact, it's, significant, it's a very significant resource, and I think that they're redoing the assays uh, using metallic screening as per the advice of Snowden, and I think we could probably get to see that resource anyway just by redoing the assays still to about a 6 million ounce resource anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is, uh, I, I understand it's one of your biggest holdings, if not your biggest holding, personally, yes. in. It is my biggest holding. Uh huh. So I think that uh, says a lot right there. Uh, you can buy this stock, Jay, right today for you know at the five million ounce resource without any credit for the potential of how big that resource could grow to. You can buy it for ten dollars an ounce of gold in the ground. That's what you're paying for this stock. Well, no $10 doubt. Yeah, no doubt. It's it's been hurt. Uh, in addition to these regulatory issues which seem a bit unfair to me. Uh, The stock's been hurt a lot uh, also by the general market malaise, and as you suggest, we're probably very near uh, a turn. Charles Nanner, who is a cycles analyst that I have a high regard for, is uh, is suggesting and has been all along that something along a July July time frame is when he sees the cycles that he follows bottoming, uh, and then he thinks we're on to something very significant. So if that's true, Ian, I think we're going to have a a much better second half of 2014. Would you agree with that? Well, for gold, but for generally for everything else, it's going to, I think that's going to be pretty horrific, Jerry. Yeah, and you know, I want to tell our listeners, lest you make the wrong conclusion, none of us are cheering on for death and destruction for the sake of getting rich and owning our gold shares uh, going up. We don't want that at all, and I know you don't, Ian. Ian, I want to thank you so much. Uh, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much uh, for your uh, excellent uh, ideas. The ideas that are, are very much you unique, your own to a great extent, and uh, always appreciated individual thought uh, and ideas from you. So thanks for joining me again. Well, Jay, thank you very much for having me. I hope we can do it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for the first hour of today's show. But there is more coming up at jtaylormedia.com. Over the next hour, I will be talking to Gene Epstein of Barron's, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, David Jensen uh, about China, Russia, and the emergence of the new petrol-gold currency standard, and Eric Coffin will be here to talk about a few of his favorites as well. So please join me at jtaylormedia.com. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Caden Resources is an advanced gold mining exploration company with two exceptional gold projects in Mexico. The company's flagship El Barqueño project represents the most valuable opportunity that an exploration company can have, which is the continuous discovery of high-grade gold from surface in arguably the best mining jurisdiction in Mexico. The company's second project, Morelos Sur, has one of the most talked-about land positions in the heart of Mexico's largest producing gold belt. Canamex Resources has commenced a 10,000-meter drill program on its flagship Bruner Gold Project in Nevada. This follows a successful 2013 field season, which included a 58-meter intercept of 5.2 grams per ton gold. 
NYSE Market Listed Gold Resource Corporation just completed a $2 million strategic investment in Canamex, and NYSE Listed Hecla Mining Company also is a strategic investor. Canamex Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol CSQ and on the OTCQX under symbol CNMXF. 